are back with the Niagara Sports Hub. I'm with Tim Ward, my good buddy, and we have Mike Fisher. Mike, how you doing, buddy? Outstanding, boys. Thank you. Oh, man, a day one NFL draft hangover. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, Tim sent me a uh, text last night, and uh, he's like, who do you think they're picking? And normally I don't get excited about Dallas Cowboy draft picks, but Mike, <laughs> you've, you've pulled us into the Cowboy lore, so thank you for that. Well, I appreciate that. <laughs> and then he sent uh, me a picture of the uh, the war room of Jerry yeah. Jones and all that. And I go, where's Fish? Are you in the background somewhere? He's a fly on the wall or what? But uh, The funniest thing for the Cowboys is after the pick, then the Cowboys and all the other teams, they do their press conference in which they say how smart they are. And in order to establish that they're telling the truth about how much they like the Tulsa offensive lineman, Tyler Smith, who nobody would heard of two months ago. Cowboy fans aren't in love with the idea, mostly because they don't really know him, even though he's from Fort Worth, the kid. Jerry held up the piece of paper to demonstrate. He held up a piece of paper that replicated the draft board. He said, and I mean, everybody's like going like this. <laughs> to see the name. But um, everybody thinks that everybody's lying all the time. And Cowboy fans are, are upset with the Joneses because they haven't accomplished much in the offseason. But they don't lie about that. I mean, they, they puff their chests. But, uh, but they don't exactly lie. For instance, the Cowboys told us a couple of days ago they had about 14 guys with first-round grades. Well, Jerry's waving that paper around, and guess how many lines there are before there's a different color? 14. Six. You count the lines. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So um, they're not lying when they say they love Tyler Smith, and then we'll see uh, in you know a few months and a few years whether or not their passion is correct. Mike, I'm curious, do the Cowboys still use the Jimmy Johnson depth chart and draft chart? Boy, I'm so glad you, that, this is one of my favorites. I'm glad you asked this. So here's the backstory of it. A guy named Mike McCoy, who was Jerry's right-hand man in uh, the oil and gas business, was, came here with Jerry and you know was named a Cowboy vice president. Not particularly in charge of any, it wasn't a football guy, just a brilliant guy. And so it was Mike McCoy one day that sat down as he was looking at teams making trades. And he goes, you know, that team just traded a one in exchange for a two and a four. But last year, a team traded that same pick for a two and a six. Isn't there a math to it? Isn't there a, a rate of exchange? And the answer is no. Before 1990, there wasn't. Everybody just guessed. So it was Mike McCoy that decided, you know what? Four quarters should equal a dollar. That if I trade you this, and so he did a, like a 20 year history study about what you get for each pick. And he put a point value on each pick. I think 3,000 down to one or something like that. He handed the piece of paper to Jimmy. And then naturally, Jimmy took credit for it. And to this day, lets it be called the Jimmy Johnson trade value chart. Even though Jimmy didn't have shit to do, didn't have anything to do with it. And Mike McCoy doesn't need the credit. He doesn't care. Jimmy likes the credit. And by the way, when people talk about Jimmy versus Jerry and how Jerry wanted all the credit, this is a good little story to demonstrate how they both wanted all the credit, uh, even for things they, they had nothing to do with. So yes, every team now has a more modernized version of that chart. And every team's chart is pretty much the same as every other team's. So we can speak the same language. How many dollars is worth a peso? And, and we can have a conversation about a somewhat equal value through 32 teams. 
So I was watching the draft with my son and, you know, the Cowboys pick was coming up and he's like, who do you think they're going to take? And I said, well, it's got to be a receiver. I think, uh, you know, with Amari Cooper leaving and, uh, and he mentioned, he goes, yeah, Cedric Wilson's gone too. And I, my 14 year old knew that I didn't, but yeah. uh, Yeah. And uh, were they looking at receiver if, if they hadn't all been taken prior to that? Yeah, they went into this. And of course, second round tonight, they can still do something there. They went into this thinking offensive line, wide receiver are our two areas where we need help. Drake London, the USC wide receiver, the big bodied guy. Uh, I talked to somebody yesterday and he said, yeah, Cowboys love him. So they they would have loved to have find a way. Had he slipped to say 12, the Cowboys would have been talking, been on the phone and tried to get up there. Um, but then the guy said, oh, the Cowboys love him. And I said, yeah. And he said, but so does everybody else. Yeah. Uh, so that was going to be a, a really tough get. But this draft is deep in wide receivers. And there's a lot of strength. Like, it's not a great first round, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of guys with second round grades, a lot of them. And so you're going to be able to get some people in the third round. And then the Cowboys in the fifth round have four picks. And so um, there's value, not just for the Cowboys, but for your favorite team too, in the third, you know, the Rams, people laugh at the Rams. I bet you they draft a couple of good players uh, because there's that many good players uh, in this, in this middle heavy draft. Yeah. There was a lot of big talk who would go number one to the Jags. And <clears throat> it was consensus that it was either going to be Hutchinson or the kid that they eventually picked from Georgia Georgia had a run of five defensive players in the first round. That hadn't happened, I think, ever. Yeah. Um, great wide receivers in the first round. Didn't have the sexy quarterbacks taken, obviously. I think Kenny Pickett was the only quarterback taken in the first round. So, overall, it was a decent night. I mean, it was fun couple hours watching on TV. Las yeah. Vegas is a great place to host the event. Yeah. I mean, the crowds were incredible when you watched on the NFL channel. The crowd's fun. The, the city obviously is fun. And then the way the kids dress is fun. Uh, I mean, and- not even the kids. I mean, I saw some grown ass men <laughs> with uh, face painted. And I was like, yeah. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Tim, could you imagine doing that? I was still trying to figure out what Derek Carr was, had done with his hair because it was not a good look. <laughs> uh, the quarterback thing is fascinating because everybody agrees that this is not a good quarterback class. And yet, somebody. Somebody's going to hit on somebody. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, you know, uh, and, and maybe it'll be Pickett, who, of course, ends up, as Mike Tomlin said, we looked all over the world at quarterbacks and we end up drafting the guy who lives next door in Pickett. Uh, Malik Willis is a just a fascinating possibility here. He is, they, they say, just the highest quality kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, he can really run. He can really sling it. He probably lacks polish, I suppose. But... Wouldn't it be fun if the Atlanta Falcons get a hometown kid in Malik Willis at quarterback to match up with Drake London, the six foot five wide receiver, and the unicorn tight end Kyle Pitts, who they got last year? There, there can still be some quarterback fun to be had here in the second round. Hey Tim, yeah. when I, I I was reading um, the Patriots at the end of the first round, <laughs> Cole, Cole Strange, I think his name is. Yes, and I was reading that. Sean McVay. Sean McVay, yeah. Sean McVay. I was reading that he like spit out his coffee and he was like, oh my God, I thought we could get him like, you know, pick 100 or whatever. Yeah, but- yeah they were actually doing their, their him and uh, Lesney, their GM were doing a 
press conference when that pick was announced, and he did. He he had a big chuckle, and uh, they were like, whoa, we thought we were going to get him 50 picks later. I don't mean to put too hard an edge on this, but basically that was McVeigh and Sneed laughing at Bill Belichick. Yeah. Which yeah. you don't see too often. Now, you, you win the Super Bowl, and you go to two Super Bowls in four years, and you start thinking you are Bill Belichick, and maybe they are. But um, it was obviously they didn't mean to be to, to offend the Patriots, but they did. Yeah. Uh, they, so, they thought it was hysterical that the Patriots thought that the guy that they think is the 100th best player is the 30th best player. I'll, I'll say this. Bill Belichick is obviously right uh, a lot. way more than he's wrong. Yeah. Um, but uh, he, he's the only guy. There, there, there's nobody that mocked anybody from Tennessee Chattanooga going in the first round anywhere. And so just like with the Cowboys pick and like with many picks, uh, and I've been trying to explain this for years when a guy goes, I hate that pick. And I'm like, that's because you never heard of him. I like that pick. That's because you saw him play for four years on TV. It used to be Notre Dame because Notre Dame on TV every week, right? Boy, I love that pick. Yeah, because he played at Notre Dame and you know everything about him. The guy that played at Troy State, you don't like because you never heard of him. So, you know, sometimes fans and media, we need to we need to admit all the things that we know that we don't know if we would just look in the mirror. Yeah, speaking of that, um, anything that stood out in the first round, any peculiar picks or anything that you're like head scratchers? It's obviously easy when you have two first round picks to get an A grade based in part on what we just said. But the Giants, with two first round picks, take Thibodeau and Evan Neal, and they might be the two best players in the draft. Yeah. Uh, you, you could do a mock draft and have those two guys have gone one and two and nobody would have laughed at you. And over the course of the last few months, um, smart NFL mock drafters have put those guys up there like that. So for that, that that looks like they just fixed their offensive line and their defensive line in one night. Uh, and then staying in the NFC East, the Eagles draft, they move around, trade, trade, trade. They get Jordan Davis, the gigantic Alabama defensive tackle. Now, people say he's just a run stopper, but, you know, he's 6'5", 350. So he's quite a run stopper. And maybe we'll see. Maybe he can do more. And then move around, move around, trade, trade, trade. And they get A.J. Brown, uh, the terrific young wide receiver from the Titans. So uh, I I think it's fair to say that the Eagles not only had a sexy night, um, but they also took some steps to catching up with Dallas in the NFC East. I think the Packers were looking at the that trade for AJ yeah, Brown and going, what the? He would have been a beast. Or he is a beast, but I mean, I'm with Aaron Rodgers. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, I, I like what the Jets did with their three picks uh, moving back up in the late first round. But, you know, they got Sauce Gardner. I, I didn't know this, but he never allowed a touchdown in uh, last year, yeah. a pass over something like 14 yards. That's yeah. incredible. Yeah. That's um, incredible. He, he played at Cincinnati. <clears throat> they didn't they didn't lose very they didn't give many up much to anybody, Cincinnati, this past year. Um, again, though, I'm sure you'll agree. When you have that much ammunition, like the Jets had, you 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 should make uh headlines and you should make headway. And they did. W- what is impressive about the Rams is F them picks and then end up drafting just fine. You know, people people say, oh, they never draft. No, they draft. They actually, they, they actually draft just fine. They, they just don't buy, they, they just F them picks in the first round. 
because they use those picks to go get superstars that are established and then draft some more potential standouts later. I also liked what Detroit did. Obviously, you know, Hutchinson fell on their lap at number two, but the Jamison Williams pick at number 12, the wide receiver that got hurt in the uh, national championship yeah. game, I think he's going to be a stud. He he might be Tyreek Hill. Uh, that, that's the comp. And, you know, uh, um, some people like, like kind of laugh at the idea of, of the comps, um, but I think it's a really good shorthand. And I, I will help out fans and media who, who wonder if it teams, – teams do it. The Cowboys absolutely do it. Absolutely yep. talk comps. It's a good shorthand to say, okay, you, you got this book on this guy, but tell me who he's like. And if you tell me that, that Jameson Williams is like Tyreek Hill, I don't need to read the book. I get it right off. Uh, and I think that's a, that's a very good one. And he may end up being the best wide receiver in this, in this class as yeah. well. In fact, again, there's, there's five wide receivers, including two from Ohio State. Yep. That might end up being the best wide receiver in this class. And there will be another run in the second round and the third round because there are stacked in this NFL draft with wide receivers. Yeah, Will McClay, the Cowboys personnel boss, said recently, I think to DallasCowboys.com, he goes, every year there's five freakish wide receivers. Not just good or great or fast, but freakish. Like, can't believe he's that big, that athletic, and that fast. Uh, and so, yeah, you want to make sure you get one of those. Because uh, they are available if you if you search hard enough. I wanted to uh, go back to, you mentioned Georgia and their defense had a scary defense, a lot of great players. And singularly, are these players good on their own or are they good in that system? So the Packers take two Georgia picks, and I think they did it because they could just color the, the helmet and they'd be you know, <laughs> fine. <laughs> but... Um, <clears throat> I'm just wondering, are are all these players, I mean, I don't know, five or six guys in the first round? Wow. I, I'm just wondering, does that play into it, or are they just you know really good players on their own? I think for the last decade or so, if you take an Alabama guy, a Georgia guy, Ohio State guy, maybe there's a couple other programs, they're probably good. That's probably, yeah. that's probably a solid enough. First of all, yeah. those guys are almost always blue chippers. And you know they, they've been the best best athlete in their neighborhood since they were six. Yeah, if you end up at those schools, and then Alabama is a great example. I know more about Alabama, but I'm sure Georgia's the same way. You get there, and you're like, you go to the wider, you go to the running back meeting, and you realize every one of these guys is a Heisman Trophy candidate. Yep. If he gets the carries, and there's six of us, uh, it's why all the time you you see, oh, this guy, he was at Alabama his, his first year, but then he transferred because he realized. Oh, I'm, I could win the Heisman Trophy, but not here because there's yeah. a junior and sophomore ahead of me. Uh, Georgia's like that. Ohio State, I think, is like that. Uh, I do think that one thing that Georgia did cover up, for lack of a better phrase, Wyatt, the defensive lineman, uh, is a behavioral uh, risk, if you will. He has the allegations of domestic violence, multiple cases of domestic violence. And so a team's got to uh, really do its homework and get the backstory there and make sure things are okay. Not uh, because of public perception so much, although that certainly matters too, but uh, those 3 a.m. phone calls to general managers, uh, they, they drain the life out of an organization. Yeah. Uh, uh, coach. Yeah. Yeah. Johnny, I'm, can, can you come downtown? I'm, I'm in jail. Yeah. Uh, that really sucks. You know, in college, the coach just calls the sheriff and the sheriff lets him out. 
you know, it doesn't, doesn't necessarily work that way in the NFL. And so too many of those guys means too many 3 a.m. phone calls, means too many guys not available on the field and sucks the life out of your program. Uh, here's hoping that, that Wyatt and anybody else who has any of these so-called red flags, uh, that things are okay with uh, them, their careers, and the people around them. Even even those without red flags, you get the Henry Ruggs of the world that you know get into a you know, right. bad accident, unfortunately, and suddenly they're no longer in the NFL, and now they're they're maybe away for life. Well, and we should say, uh, and I'm I'm careful to consider this uh, both media wise and otherwise, but for the grace of God. The, the Henry Ruggs, I don't think anybody thinks Henry Ruggs was a bad guy, is nope. a bad guy. Uh, um, but that could easily be my son, my nephew, my cousin, my dad, or me. Uh, while it's horrible and shameful, I don't wag a finger too much because I recognize how how easily that could happen to almost any of us. We're seeing a change in draft philosophies over the past decade. Not one running back was taken in the first round. Right. Uh, um, do you see anybody that you like in that position? The running back at Cincinnati uh, and the running back at Baylor. The running back at Baylor, uh, last name Smith, was a linebacker his junior year, moved to running back his senior year, and was the best running back in the Big 12. Uh, and his coaches just think he's a tremendous person. Uh, so – so somebody who gets him is going to get a running back who plays special teams. It'll be a running back who makes tackles on special teams. That's kind of cool. But, you know, Ezekiel Elliott might be the last of the dying breed. Right. The, yeah. Let's draft a running back high and let's pay him. Not that it hasn't, you know, listen, he won two rushing titles. It's, it's not like Ezekiel Elliott's uh, anything but successful. But the Kansas City Chiefs are probably the preeminent team that is established. I don't know. We'll just whoever. We'll just put whoever at running back. Doesn't make any difference. He'll rush for a thousand yards, and by gosh, they do. Uh, oh, we'll play our third string running back in the Super Bowl, and he'll he'll be a candidate to be the MVP. And by gosh, he is. So I think you put Tim back there, you know, in a game, he could get a hundred yards, almost, <laughs> almost. Uh, These fifty-five year old legs so, that ain't what they used to be. <laughs> and so you're right. It is a it's a it's a and it's been a really fast change in not only in draft philosophy but but roster building, where I I, I can just put a guy back there. Uh, and so, yeah, uh, teams, I think teams are wising up and it's too bad. I mean, because the Cowboys, you know, Zeke's taking a big bite out of the salary cap, not his fault. Uh, they, they thought they were paying a special player and he was, and maybe still is. The question is, do you need a special player at running back anymore? All right, Mike, we know you got to run, but real quick, Mavs sons, do the Mavs have a chance? You know, if Luka Doncic is on your team and not limping around, you have a chance. The, the, the Suns, of course, now that Devin Booker is going to try to play, and he did play last night. Yeah, if played. you're a Mavs fan, you was, you're kind of hoping, you know, no offense, Devin, but kind of hoping that your hamstring continues to bother you for a couple more weeks. Devin Booker can do some amazing things. Chris Paul uh, just will will not go away, and he's been in a thorn in the Cowboys in the Mavericks side. In their last game, I think Chris Paul – did Chris Paul shoot 14 to 14 from the floor? He Something did. Something like that. Yeah. He did. Um, yeah, so – you you got to you got to find a way to stop both of them. Uh, in the case of the Suns defensively, it, obviously, if you can corral Luca, uh, you can beat the Mavericks. But how do you corral Luca? Yeah, well, uh, the Pel- he, Pelicans played Suns tough, so I mean, yeah, Dallas the, got a the, chance. The beauty of Doncic is 
he takes the game and moves the game at his pace. He controls the game. And if he wants it to go slow, it goes slow. If he wants it to go fast, it goes fast. If he wants it to be flashy, if he wants it to be pounding, whatever, whatever he dictates uh, is what the game is. And, and that's, that's the Mavericks' chance. Obviously, they're going to be underdogs in the series. But the dictation of Doncic is the, <laughs> is, is the Mavericks' best chance. Well, right on. Mike, thanks so much. You Enjoy be- round two and three this weekend. All right, guys. Thank you. Hey, I appreciate hey, it. Before, before we jumped on, you said we give us 15 damn good minutes. We got 20-plus minutes out of you, Mike. We've done damn it again. Good minutes. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, buddy. We'll talk thanks, to you. Thanks, Mike. Road.